You're listening to The Worship Review, a podcast which evaluates contemporary Christian music for the good of the church to the glory of God. This podcast is for the whole church to encourage thoughtful engagement with the words, emotions, and ideas in our music. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Hi there. Welcome to another episode of The Worship Review. My name is Colin. I am a history professor at a large research university in the Midwest of the United States. I am joined, as always, by my favorite co-host and only co-host, Tyler. Which makes me his least favorite co-host as well. I decided not to put it that way. (laughs) I am a, a linguist, a Germanist, a language enthusiast, and a former worship leader, as is Colin. And today... As we have been doing, we've been taking a little break in between Series 1 and Series 2 to talk about some Christmas and Advent songs, and today we are looking at the song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, by the great Charles Wesley from Bristol in the United Kingdom, I should say. Nice little statue of him buried behind a shopping mall. I know know a thing or two about... Bristol, England. With angelic host proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. So, Tyler, uh, what we're going to do today is a version of what we always do. We'll talk, a, we'll give a little summary of the song. We'll go into details about various parts of it. We'll give some concluding remarks, and then we'll give the song a rating. So, Tyler, tell us, what is the song about? What happens in the song? What's going on? There's a lot of commands in this song. Commands are, in linguistics, called imperatives, and it's telling another person what to do. (laughs) And this song is full of that. This song says, listen up. This song says, sing. This song says... See, as in look at the Godhead. It says hail, so meaning praise or greet. It, it tells us to that, – that's all that it tells us to do. <laughs> but in every verse of this song, there's uh, an imperative, a command to the hearer of these words. And so as we go through the song, we'll discuss some of those imperatives, who's listening, who's saying them. And what's going on that people are now all of a sudden issuing orders to each other, and what a hark is as yeah. well. Can we let's just let's just set the record straight because for most of my life, so for for my first few years of life, I thought, for example, that in the ABCs was a letter called Elemeno, and then I figured out that that was several letters. In the same way, but much more embarrassingly, so up until maybe sometime in my twenties, maybe even later than that. I thought that Hark was a herald. I thought that there was a dude named Hark, and he was the herald, and then angels sung something. Hark the herald, comma, angels sing. Right, exactly. What was, was I, was I right about that, or was I misunderstanding that first line? So, Colin, while you're welcome to name your next child Hark, this is not a proper noun. This is an imperative form of an archaic verb. Uh, You may have heard the phrase hearken unto. Mm. meaning to listen carefully unto something. And this is actually quite a simple construct. This is a simple 
pasting together of the verb to hear. So you have the H and the R coming from that verb. And a K suffix. A suffix is something you add to the end of a word. So we have here and a K. And the K is in Germanic languages used to intensify intensify a noun. So, okay. So here attentively or okay. habitually. It can also be a habitualizer too. So listen carefully to these words. It's also found in words like talk in English, whereas mm -hmm. Old Norse has a verb meaning to speak tala. English has talk, so to talk, to speak kind of intensively. So that's why we still have the L in talk. Exactly. Fascinating. Exactly. Wow. Um, although if you're from you know, New York or Philly, you might say talk. Yeah. But okay. we still have a little bit of an L, even though it's kind of vowel-like. So hark means listen up, you, mm -hmm. right now. It, it doesn't mean a name or anything like that. Okay. So the, the opening line then is a commandment. Okay. So we're told to do something, and then we have what I thought was a herald. So I thought herald was a noun. Is herald a noun here? It is a noun forming the first half of a compound. Okay. So in, 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 in some versions of this, and I hope that the versions you sing do this, it's hyphenated to make that clearer. Herald angels. Herald angels. So these are angels, and we've talked about angels on the podcast before. These are angels who bear a specific message. That's yeah. what a herald does. It, it has a, he or she has something that they're supposed to carry to someone else and yeah. proclaim. It's interesting because in the Greek, angelos is messenger. A so, or a vessel, right? Yeah. So it's, it would be redundant in the Greek, but presumably this is useful in an English construction because we would have, we have different conceptions of what angel means. So it makes sense to say these are herald angels. These are angels that bring tidings and they're not like, I don't know, warrior angels or something else maybe. We know that gospel has been overused in the English language in the last 20 years. Thanks, Young Reformed and Restless Movement. <laughs> but we also know the Greek word for this, evangelion. And so the eo is the, I believe is good, and angel is the news or the message. And so these angels, these angels, are being sent as messengers with a message. Gospel is just Middle English uh, good, G-O-D, Spell meaning a message. You could see why I, as I was going to say, as a kid, as, as a say twenty something, <laughs> uh, got this impression though because of the pauses. It's just like joy to the world and makes the nations prove the glories of Israel. Right? There's that pause there that makes it seem like it's a new thought, but it's just a pause in the cadence of the song. But really, hark the herald angels sing. This is it's a really one smooth thought, but mm -hmm. the. The, the pause makes you think there's like a comma there or something. Which maybe one day we'll do a series on this because this this podcast has tended to focus exclusively on text yeah, and not on music. But this is a good example of how the music yeah. can shape our thinking as mm -hmm. well. Mark the herald angels sing Glory to the newborn king Peace on earth and mercy mild God and sin Glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Colin, if you're like me, you've sung this song a million times and you think, hark the herald angels sing, 
glory to the newborn king. Yeah. And then we return back to, he saw no. Yes, that's right. No, this is still part of the message right. that they're bringing. The angels are still speaking. They are. Yeah. And they have a lot to say, a lot more than just, and, and obviously glory to the newborn king, but also they're proclaiming peace on earth. This is not just something that we're describing in the song. This is something no. that these angels, these messengers of God are proclaiming to us. Yeah. Peace on earth, mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Yeah. This is a message not from me, not from Colin, n- not from anyone else, but God himself. Yeah. It's interesting that we see the word mild here again, as yes. we saw in Silent Night. Right. And if you recall... Yeah, <laughs> exactly. If you recall, this is when referring to a lord or a ruler is not just someone who's, you know, gentle, friendly, or maybe even like a little bit of a pushover. This is someone who could wipe you out and doesn't, yeah. and is therefore a mild ruler. Mm-hmm. So um, peace on earth, and, and again, we have this inverted noun adjective yes, pair. mild mercy. Mild mercy, mercy mild. mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. So... We have glory being proclaimed to the newborn king. We we can infer this is Jesus. Yeah. Peace on earth and mercy mild. Yeah. So peace is being proclaimed to earth and mercy is being proclaimed. Mild mercy from God is being proclaimed to earth. And then we have this beautiful reminder that God and sinners past participle, reconciled. Past yes. participle means an adjective formed from a verb implying something has already happened. Yeah. So God and sinners reconciled. Not God and sinners can be reconciled or yes. will be reconciled or God is going to start reconciling today. It's past tense, done, period. This is something I love about several older hymns and songs, including some Christmas songs, is they do a much better job than many modern songs about proclaiming the finished work, the done work, the assurance of things. I, I, I almost wonder if this is a product of the kind of invitational culture that we have in modern evangelicalism, where it's very much a, you know, so much in the church is focused on getting somebody to make a decision to do something and to invite people into things that so much is presented as a kind of option, right? Whereas in this song and many other songs that come out of the sort of pre-evangelical world, there is no, the songs are declaring things that are sure, that are certain, that have happened, right? right. That, are, that are very certain. God and sinners reconciled implies that God and sinners were once yes. at enmity yes. and that they have been made one again, yes. right? So this is a hint to... The Middle English word atonement, at one mint. The prophecy has been clear from the beginning. God is enacting his plan from eternity past to save his people. And so, even at the birth of Christ, these angels are sure that God has reconciled himself to these sinners, although it's not going to happen for 33 years or so. I love also the use of sinners rather than men or humanity or something like that. It's just a nice reminder Mm. of the paradox of the very statement, God and sinners reconciled. So it's not just God and men. It, again, makes a clear declaration that there's a problem here with men. The sinless one and the sinners. Yes. Reconciled. It's great. Joyful all ye nations rise. Join the triumph of the 
joyful, all ye nations rise. Ye just means y'all if you are from the American South. If you're not, it means you all. So all you nations rise joyfully. Mm -hmm. Join the triumph of the sky. So this is, again, the heavens declaring the glory of God, but also I think the angelic host proclaiming the glory of God. Which we see in the next line. Exactly. Yeah. So we are invited into a song bigger than ourselves that has Mm -hmm. already been going on. With the angelic host proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem. <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's a few lines in the song that uh, that remind of uh, probably older pronunciation. Yes, that's right. But um, before we go any further, host doesn't mean someone who has his friends over for <laughs> lunch right. or dinner, right? That's if you if and we don't use the word host to mean this anymore, but no. in this text and in earlier English, it meant. A multitude of people arrayed like an army. Yeah. That's what a host is. So you the angelic it. host is not a, a really friendly angel or a really friendly group of angels. It's a bunch of warrior angels sent with this message from God. Yeah. If you're familiar with the King James Bible, we see this in the construction, the Lord of hosts. This is talking not about the God of friendly, welcoming Bacchus people. or something yeah. like that. <laughs> no. Right. This is this is God of the of the warring multitude armies, you know. Of heaven. And then we've got, and then Hark returns, that guy. Yeah. The angelic host <laughs> proclaims Christ is born in Bethlehem. And then Hank is back to father. <laughs> Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. There's actually some stuff to unpack in that first half. So much to unpack. So will you help us, Tyler? What do you want to get to first? Let's go line by line. Okay. Christ. Christ, we know who that is. By highest heaven adored. Highest heaven implies a kind of multi-layered heaven. And we have some references from scripture like in Luke, glory to God in the highest heavens. Right. Implying, I think, the the heavens referring then to the heavenly places. When the Bible speaks of the highest heaven, it's a way of saying the divine heaven, like not the skies above the earth. This is in mm. the realm in which which God is. So praised by, Christ is adored by celestial beings themselves, like angels and God, maybe God himself. Yeah, I think really it's a way to say God himself. And I think there are other places in the song where in order to try to communicate the divine nature of Christ, there's a, the song will use heaven in a, as a way to kind of really give weight to the idea of Jesus's divinity, and I think this is one of the first, one of the times that this song does this, is trying to say Christ is adored of God, beloved of God. Ah, this is my son in whom I am yeah, well pleased. that sort of thing. Very good. So God the Father yeah, is loving God exactly. the Son right. before the foundation of the world. Right. And so when Christ by highest heaven adored is, is really Christ beloved of the Father. Yeah, that, that's right. That's what this is trying to say. Okay. Christ, the everlasting Lord. So this is obviously about his immortality, right? He will mm-hmm. never die. 
but also his eternal reign. Yeah, that that's right. He will sit on his throne forever, will never be usurped, will never lose his power, and will reign and has reigned mm-hmm. from all time to all time. Exactly. Now, then we get some interesting constructions here with late in time. Behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb. Tyler, do you have thoughts on this? Again, this is one of these lines that I've just sung over and over and over again and never thought about it until I begun doing the research for this podcast, late in time. Yeah. What does that mean? Does that mean that that Christ was supposed to come and he didn't come when he was supposed to? That's what you might think if you have a, a unitary understanding of what late means, but we speak English, so we have a lot of nuance to our words. And and you might hear this and think I'm trying to weasel my way out of it. I'm not. Um, late can mean a lot of things. Late can mean coming after it's expected, right? My bus is late. My train is late. Colin is late. Again, um, that would imply that Christ's coming in this song, um, Christ came after he was expected. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that that's what Wesley is getting at here. Another way that we use the word late in English is to mean advanced in time. So we talk about a late drink, mm-hmm. a late chat, mm-hmm. and we had a late night. Yeah, that um, doesn't mean we did it at a time after, after we, we expected to do it. No, we, we recorded the podcast and then went out for a late drink. Yeah. Not that we expected to drink earlier. It's just yeah. it's, it's descriptive of a time, right? So late in time means... Um, the long-awaited one, the one who has been prophesied about for a long time. You're checking the time now. No, because I was thinking about, I don't want a late drink, but I kind of want some late Taco Bell. But anyway, go ahead. I'll go with you. <laughs> so, so late in time doesn't mean coming after he was expected to come or coming after would be prudent, but coming right at the right time, but... um advanced in time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So uh, th- this idea of the last the last days or something like that. I think that's being hinted at yeah. here um that this is welcoming in a new a new era yeah. for the story of man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um off oh well, late in time. Behold him come. So witness this arrival. This Advent, that's literally what Advent means. Offspring, so child of a virgin's womb. Okay. So he, this is clearly a reference to his virgin birth, his immaculate conception. Then we will progress to veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Which I, I sang in British churches as hail incarnate deity. And now that I sing it in, in American churches, they pronounce both those words differently. Anyway, go ahead. Veiled can mean hidden. It can mean um, obfuscated or deliberately put out of sight. But it comes from a noun, meaning a veil, so something that is uh, slightly transparent that you put on. And I think this verb is similar to verbs like clothed or robed. Cover. 
covered. We have a noun and we make a verb out of it, meaning to put this on someone. <laughs> like mm-hmm. uh, he is robed in this. Here, there's a robe and we will put the robe on him. Um, and the question arises, is it legitimate to talk about Christ's divinity being veiled in flesh? And I would argue that it is, and I wasn't expecting to. So because my gut reaction is, no, Christ's divinity was not hidden from anyone. And I don't think that um, a, a, a kind of trickery hiding is meant here. I think it's a different kind of veiling. We have descriptions of the mortal veil or the veil of the flesh in the English language dating back to the 16th century. I could give examples of that, but I don't think it's that helpful. Here's here's where we see the author of the Hebrews, who knows who it could be, <laughs> saying in Hebrews 10, and I'm going to use King James because it uses the word veil, and uh-huh. I'm certain that that's what this is referring to. Hebrews 10, verses 19 to 20. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. Mm. So the author of the Hebrew, the author of the Hebrews, or the author of the letter to the Hebrews, makes a parallel between the veil which separated the holy of the, the holiest of holies from the rest of the tabernacle with the flesh of Christ. And so an, I would say this certainly has scriptural warrant, and we see at the transfiguration of Jesus mm-hmm. a display of his glory. His face is described as shining like the sun and his, and his robes as glowing like white. And I think the best way we can interpret this is some of that veil was lifted briefly yeah. or or um, it was made more penetrable very yeah. briefly. Yeah. And the apostles for a brief moment could see through the veil of the flesh mm-hmm. to the unfiltered, if you will, or slightly less filtered uh, deity within Christ. Yeah, and there are other places I think we see similar ideas. So just even in John 1, the Word became flesh, dwelt among us. I mean, this is kind of a similar idea. So John 1, 14, no, excuse me, John 1, 18, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He, meaning Christ, has made him known. Yes, right. Or Christ saying, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Uh, And this may be a slightly controversial one, but probably isn't. In the Christophanies in the Old Testament, we see appearances of Christ, but where there is some... You're going to need to describe what a Christophany is. Okay. So there are moments in the Old Testament where we see the angel of the Lord, for example, sometimes that's the title used, appearing and allowing himself to be worshipped. And some theologians, I would say many theologians take these appearances to be pre-incarnate appearances of the Son, of Christ. And I would also subscribe to that, to that viewpoint. And in, those, in some of those appearances, there is a kind of glory that accompanies that, those, those Christophanies. 
So like the angel that wrestles with yeah with um, Jacob. Jacob yeah before he becomes Israel. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yep. Okay. So he's veiled in flesh, not hiding like a trickster, but protecting us by this fleshy veil. We see, or we're commanded to see the Godhead. Yeah. Tyler, what is happening with this word? Because this could be a tricky situation. Oh my goodness, Colin. I, I My mind was blown when I started researching this word mm -hmm. because a modern English speaker like myself uh, even someone well-versed in Germanic languages will look at this and intuitively think it's a compound yeah. of God and head. Mm -hmm. And a head is a, you know, we we're, why wouldn't you, right? A head is a, Christ is a head of the body, that is to mm -hmm. say the church, right? There's an authority there, there's a, a, a unity there, a pinnacle there, but this has nothing to do with the human head, um, absolutely nothing. So this is an archaic suffix, uh, roughly— equivalent with hood, like childhood, fatherhood, brotherhood. So mm -hmm. the Godhead is not some abstraction of the three persons of the Trinity, right. but rather it's just the Godhood. Yeah, the kind of divine, flesh, see divine, the divine nature. Essence, yeah. See that which is divine. See the divinity. Yeah. Right? It's the same kind of suffix that takes an adjective and turns it into a noun. I wonder why it is that we associate the word Godhead with Trinity, because that's what we tend to, we tend to synonymize those two things. And like you, I discovered the same construction and I was blown away. It's like, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. This is, we're seeing veiled in flesh, the kind of divine essence or divine nature. Which we as good Trinitarians would say it's three persons of one essence. Yeah. Right? Um, anyway, I, I just found that interesting. So we are to see... With our own eyes now, not like we saw before, um, not like a terrifying experience like the transfiguration or Moses hiding in the cleft, but because Christ has come in the form of man, we can now see divinity and it looks like us. Yeah, we can see in God. In a sense. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. Um, hail the incarnate deity, right? Incarnate, this has at its root C-A-R-N, right? The C-R and the N correspond to a Latin root meaning flesh, right? So mm -hmm. incarnate literally just means fleshy, the, the one who is made flesh. Hail the incarnate deity. Um, greet him, salute him, yep. worship him. Pleased as man, this is referring to Christ, he was pleased as a man to dwell with men. Men here meaning humans. Yeah. He was pleased as a human to dwell with humans. This is another line that I have just sung, but it's actually a really nice poetic it line. It is. And I, I was reminded of Philippians 2. It's not just that he did this begrudgingly or he came from heaven to, to save us and grit his teeth and bore it, but that he was pleased to dwell with us as our, as our Lord, but also as our brother and as our friend. Paul says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself, etc., etc. He's taking on a humble 
visage. estate. Yeah. And humble is the root of the word humiliate, by the way. So he is – and he is humiliated in becoming a human. He is made humble in becoming a human. And and when we think of that, we might think of that as him doing this begrudgingly or uh, bitterly or um, maybe stoically focused on his mission. But this this line is good and true that he was pleased to dwell with us. His taking on a veil of flesh is a glory to him, is to his glory. Jesus, our Emmanuel. This is the next line. So, our God with us. Mm-hmm. Direct reference to Matthew chapter one, verse twenty-three, where we have Emmanuel, God with us. And then this refrain again: "Hark, the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn King." Mm-hmm. Yeah. If so, so in this final verse, Tyler, we've got, "Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace! Hail the Son of Righteousness! Light and life to all He brings." risen with healing in his wings. And I've just pronounced some of those words fully without the apostrophe, but of course they have, some of them have a pot, heaven and risen. ridden. What stuck out to you? Well, heaven born clearly refers to his being begotten, not made of the yeah. father. It's another example, by the way, of what I was talking about earlier with the use of heaven to kind mm-hmm. of talk about divinity. Yeah, exactly. And then we have Prince of Peace, the, this title that we see in Scripture. Mm-hmm. Really nice to see all these biblical titles. Images, yeah. titles. Hail the Son of Righteousness. This is not S-U-N, but no. S-O-N. Yeah. Um, Colin, would you like to talk a bit about well, this? I well, have some thoughts on this. My initial thought is that this is a reference, of course, to the fact that Christ is the Son of... not is like a second Adam, is son of righteousness rather than a son of iniquity. When I saw this, I was thinking he, God, the father is righteousness himself, mm, right? Okay. So he is technically the son of righteousness. Hence uh, the, the capital for righteousness. Right. But I think this is a reference to Malachi. Huh? So here is Malachi 4. Behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun, S-U-N, of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. So, this son of righteousness is in Malachi a, mm. a star, right? Like a star, like our sun is a uh-huh. star rising on the horizon with healing in its metaphorical wings. I guess maybe that's the dawn, the light of the dawn surrounding the horizon. And so when you first read this line and you're just looking at the text, you're like, risen with healing yes, in his wings. That's what I did. And I was unaware what? actually of this passage in Malachi 4. So I'm really glad that you brought that up because now it's like, okay, that's scriptural. That's yes. in scripture. That's not because this song has done a pretty good job of sticking to 
pretty concrete scriptural ideas. And then it's like, where do the wings come from? Yeah. Okay. He, so he's not uh there's a there's a race in Dungeons and Dragons called the Asimar, okay. which are these kind of celestial beings that have wings. That's not what's being depicted. Christ is not, you know, coming out of the tomb flapping wings mm. of a dove or something like that. This is a reference to the Old Testament. And the wings, even in Malachi, were referring to a sun, S-U-N's wings. So I think okay. it has to be metaphorical in Malachi. It's certainly metaphorical here. So to be generous here, hail the sun, and it's deliberately playing on the sun-sun uh. homophony in English. Homophony means two words that sound the same but mean different things. Mm -hmm. Whereas Malachi was talking about an astral sun, yeah. a sun in the sky, this song very cleverly is talking about a physical sun. Um, and I think the sun, S-O-N, I'm saying it a little bit affected now to get this across, the sun... So I was going to say, der Sonne. <laughs> <laughs> the S-O-N of righteousness, I think, is the son of God himself, mm -hmm. but it's a reference to this son that will, um, at the end of days, right, this is uh, referring to the day that is coming that shall set the wicked ablaze and the righteous will be saved. This is the sun of righteousness rising with healing in its wings. Mm -hmm. So he brings light and life to all. We might, if if we're talking about an, uh, a theory of salvation that is particular for a specific people, we might object to this. But it seems clear from Scripture that even if the atonement is particular— it is offered freely to yeah, all. Yeah, yeah, sure. So he brings light and life to all. And, and you could also, by the way, make a case for kind of common grace. Yes. Right? Christ holds all things together. Yeah, the he, wicked live. The, yeah, right? exactly. The, they have light. All the world was made by him and through him, you know, for him. Yeah. What's interesting now is that you have in the first half of this verse language which speaks to Christ's divinity and even his glory. And then there's this transitionary phrase, mild he lays his glory by. Again, mild is brought up yes. here. Yes. So which really helps support what you've said about mild. Christ is powerful and is glorious and is divine. And yet this strength and glory he lays down. And then the verse finishes describing what Christ accomplishes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to lay by is to set aside, mm -hmm. right? So he has divine glory, and he sets it aside in grace and in mercy. Yeah, He's born so that man will no longer die mm -hmm. to give man life. And to raise the sons of earth and to give them second birth. Several to Nicodemus, it yes, seems there. exactly. Yep. So we have just several reasons why he does this. Which is nice because in a song about the incarnation, we also have a sense of the purpose. Like, in other words, there are varying traditions within broader Christendom broadly, which wrestle over the significance of the incarnation versus the death versus the resurrection. And this song is making a statement that the incarnation is important. We should sing about it. We should celebrate it. But there was a purpose for it. it this was not the the most significant thing, that there, mm -hmm. there was a, a reason for God to become flesh, and there was something that he was, that 
Christ was mm. moving towards that would actually accomplish the tasks of raising the sons of earth and and giving men a second birth. I wonder if there's an intentionality here too, because it begins with man no longer dying, right? Mm -hmm. So it proceeds from the idea that we live and then we don't die, born to raise the sons of earth. So then those, I wonder if this is talking about at his second coming, those who are alive will never die. Those mm -hmm. who did die will be raised. And the second birth... I think has to be a conversion reference or something. Do yeah. you think that that's intentional or am I drawing tenuous conclusions No, here? I think it is intentional, but also I think we see John Wesley doing something that we have seen modern worship songwriters do, and that is I think he's trying to find a word that rhymes with birth. Oh. <laughs> and so he said sons of earth. Okay. I think he's speaking about the second death, which is eternal damnation. And so men need no more die a second death. Some will be raised and uh, be given a second birth. Hmm. And a second birth is obviously a second, a new life. Yeah, right? that's right. Hail the heaven-born prince of peace. Hail the son of righteousness. Light and life to all he brings. There are two other verses to this song that are often not sung, but oh. they are in Wesley's original. I was unaware of this. Come, desire of nations, come. Fix in us thy humble home. Rise the woman's conquering seed. Bruise in us the serpent's head. Now display thy saving power. Ruined nature now restore. Now in mystic union join. Thine to ours and ours to thine. Adam's likeness, Lord, efface. Stamp thy image in its place. Second Adam from above, reinstate us in thy love. Let us thee, though lost, regain. Thee the life, the inner man. O oh, to all thyself impart, formed in each believing heart. So, actually more than, if we were doing verses the way that this song has done verses, those would be four verses, each yeah. with a little refrain afterward. Um, some of those I think are worthwhile to do. You could negotiate that with your own pastor. Some of them also help amplify some and clarify some things that we saw elsewhere. So like... Uh, well, the second Adam theme. Yeah, exactly. That was the big one. Yes. The second Adam, right? So we've got that clearly mentioned elsewhere in the song, which gives us a, a greater hint as to that, yeah, that indeed was what he was thinking of mm -hmm. earlier on. Yeah, and the breaking of the curse prophesied in Genesis, or I'm not prophesied, but yep. described in Genesis yep. and begun. Yep. So really, on the whole, a pretty pretty rich hymn. Tyler, what are your thoughts about sort of the coherence and just maybe some concluding thoughts about this hymn? Okay, let me say this. This song obviously requires some considerable legwork to yeah. make it make sense to modern English speakers. So mm -hmm. I don't think we should take this lightly. Because it takes careful study and description to make sense of some of the lines in this. And maybe not an hour of study, but you're going to have to say what Hark means. You're going to have to make sense of the risen with healing in his wings, mm -hmm. the son of righteousness. There's, there are a few lines in this song that could really sink it if 
people are given the wrong understanding of what this is, or if they see Jesus with wings or something like yeah, that. So sure. um, with that caveat in place, if you can preface, if you can put something in your church's bulletin that explains things, or you can, I don't know, explain it from the pulpit or from the microphone somewhere to make it make sense, I would endorse this song wholeheartedly because it's mm. beautiful. More importantly, it's scriptural. It's mm. elegant in how it describes the significance and the potence of Christ's salvation. So I would say, yes, do it, but know, K-N-O-W, know that you should not take it lightly because this is a hefty song with some hefty words. Yeah, it's hard because this song gets us into an issue which you don't get in the same way in modern contemporary Christian worship music. And that is that you have enough archaisms, which are genuine archaisms or just, you know, syntax issues or diction issues or whatever, that are enough to make it challenging. And again, it's no fault of the song that it has these. It's because the song is old and it's because language has changed, not the song. If you sung this song in 1800, you wouldn't have those problems because much of this would would make sense. So I agree that you do have to factor that in a little bit. It's hard because for me, because with Joy to the World, there were far fewer of those issues and I was much more willing to see past them. In this song, I agree with you. There there are more of them and there's just more challenge to it. it and again, I, I just struggle with the idea that on the one hand, it's kind of our fault, not the song, not the song's fault. Like I didn't know about Malachi chapter four to to be able to interpret what Risen with Healing in his wings is referencing. Like, is that the song's fault? Well, no. So what I will do is have a slightly different answer when it comes to the rating versus whether I'd recommend it. So for recommending the song, I would agree with you that it is a somewhat challenging song to do. It doesn't mean that it shouldn't be done, but it does mean that there will need to be some extra work to actually have the song have a fuller meaning in a Christmas or Advent service. You're going to read Malachi 4 in the service. Yeah. You're going to tell everybody what Hark means. Yeah, you're going to talk about the second Adam or you know that sort of thing. What would you rate the song? This is not easy. It isn't. It's a hard song. This is a hard song. And it's hard too because we can come into this with certain ideas and ratings and then we can kind of move during the course of the discussion and it puts us in difficult places. Colin, I'm going to try and stick to my guns. Okay. By my guns, I, I'm not talking about my weapons. I'm talking about yeah, a system of rating. Yeah. Lower your <laughs> weapons, please, Tyler. No one can see on the podcast, but he's got two Berettas <laughs> pointed right at me. I'm talking about a system of of evaluating and numerically rating songs in part based on their coherence. Okay. And up to this point, we've evaluated them on their own merit upon the coherence of them as they are. We've docked, we've docked some modern songs that do weird sentence fragments because they're not coherent English sentences. Yeah. Um, and this song has some sentences that are not coherent thoughts in modern English. They're coherent thoughts, very beautiful, elegant, Christian coherent thoughts in early modern English, but 
the language that we have now is, um, I think, inadequate to express that, or at least it's it's advanced beyond that to something else. I'm going to dock it for clarity and give it four out of five Charlie Brown's Christmas specials. Now, you're going to have to explain that one to me. Is that Do they sing that song at the end of the Christmas special? It's, yeah, it's like the, the song they're singing as they're reading Luke. Okay. The Gospel of That Luke. was so beautiful about the Charlie Brown Christmas special is they really did emphasize that a little bit. Yeah. I remember no, that. No one freaked out. It was nice. Yeah, that's right. Oh, what a world it's become. Colin, what would you give this Oh, song? Tyler, like you, I, I'm in the exact same boat that you are. And I'm trying, I want to be consistent. And I know I've been hard on modern songs for less. And uh, it's just challenging because on the one hand, I think, how much weight do I give the fact that the song is less intelligible in the culture around it? But perhaps in some ways, even in the culture that it was in, there would be some aspect of confusion because of the way that the cadence of the song is. And like you, I will go ahead and give this song four out of five Silent Nights. Silent Nights, because I feel like this song does well what Silent Night did poorly in that this song is triumphant and excited about the angels proclaiming the good news, whereas Silent Night is still kind of sad and dirgy. I, I'm gonna. I, I actually feel good about my rating in hindsight, and here's why: this song contains the line "Hail the Sun," <laughs> which, if you're not careful, yeah, sure. you're gonna have some Zoroastrians get yeah, some, really excited. Some Apollo worshippers. <laughs> that's right. Which was a conflation that happened in the second, third, and fourth centuries A.D. Conflation Christ between Christ and Apollo. Because oh. yeah. Apollo is the sun. Chariot puller? Yeah. Well, thanks again for listening to The Worship Review. Take care. We'll see you next time. Bye. You've been listening to The Worship Review. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave a comment, or email us at feedback at theworshipreview.com. We accept donations at Anchor FM slash The Worship Review and Patreon.com slash The Worship Review. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.